Well, I couldn't be more excited about coming to John chapter 20. We've been on this journey, if you just dropped in, to join us, some of you guys that are just with us tonight. We've been on a journey through the the story of John. So we began, actually, this time last year, John chapter 1. We spent 20 weeks so far taking a chapter a week, looking at at the story of Jesus. John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and then we've tracked along the story of Jesus until we come to the text tonight where the most beautiful of all things happens, that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And so I I couldn't be more excited about jumping in, and I want to give you the word. You know, sometimes we forget the word. Have you noticed that around here? We get to the, the end, and we get so excited about the text, and we forget the word. And at 11, we didn't give the word, and at 4, we didn't give the word. So can you do a good job of spreading the word tonight? The word is grace. Can you just say that with me? No, that's not, it's better than that, trust me. Maybe I could, should give you the word at the end, but it's going to be better than that. So can you just by faith give me a little better grace? The word for tonight is grace. grace. That's the word for this evening. You're like, wait a minute, it seems like resurrection would be a good word or uh, life would be a good word. We've already used life uh, in, the, in our journey so far, but I want you to see grace in a couple of amazingly powerful ways tonight. The first one is right in the very first phrases of John chapter 20, and we've already heard the whole chapter read as we shared and read the word together, but let's just jump in in John 20 verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, so it's Sunday morning, it's the first day of the week for the Jewish uh, rhythm of life, and it's still dark outside, so it's really early on the first day of the week, it says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. So I know we didn't get very far, but let's just stop there for a moment. And I want to ask you a question. Why did Mary Magdalene, on the first day of the week, when it was still dark outside and so early in the morning, why did she go to the tomb in the dark on the first day of the week? Tell, tell your neighbor, if you know the answer to that, really quickly, why you think Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. If you didn't even know who Mary Magdalene is, even though she went to the tomb, just tell them, I don't know. Or if you just don't know, tell them, I don't know. But if you know, tell your neighbor, why did Mary Magdalene go to the tomb so early in the morning on the first day of the week. How many of you know the answer to this? You know why she went so early in the morning on the first day of the week? Two people. Wow, we've got, a, we've got some powerhouse going on here tonight. It's pretty incredible. Here's why she went so early in the morning. As we saw last week, Jesus is crucified. He hangs on the cross from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus breathes his last puts his life into the hands of his father, and he hangs his head and he dies at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And on the tradition of the Passover, there wasn't really time to bury Jesus in the proper way. Sundown is coming. Nothing can be done when the sun goes down. Jesus needs to be buried before sunset, but it's already 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so someone comes, gets permission to take Jesus' body off the cross. They're looking for a place to bury him. Turns out there's a tomb nearby. It's a brand new, never-before-used tomb. The owner of that tomb is a follower of Jesus. Says, you can put Jesus in my tomb. And so they prepare the body of Jesus. They do wrap the body of Jesus, but not with the full preparation that would normally go into a burial of this sort. Normally, the body would be completely packed in perfumes and and spices and wrapped in a meticulous way and then laid to rest 
in a place of burial, but Jesus, if I could just say it in the, in the short version, was buried in a hurry. And so all night long, Mary Magdalene is thinking, I want to bury Jesus the right way. And so I can't work because it's sundown, but as soon as it's the first day of the new week and we're allowed again to pursue work, the first thing I'm going to do is go at the earliest part of the morning and I'm going to finish the work, if they'll let me, of properly preparing Jesus for burial. And so off she goes early in the morning ready to serve Jesus, to to honor him, to, to do the work that should have been done properly the day before. But look what happens as she arrives. So she comes early in the morning. It's still dark. She comes to the tomb and what? And saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance of the tomb. Now, she doesn't understand what's going on here, and you will see later in the text that she, she freaks out. She thinks they've stolen the body of Jesus. She's, she's perplexed and distraught by what she finds there. But what God was trying to say to her, even in that very first moment, is what he's definitely saying to us tonight. It's the first major theme out of John chapter 20, and it is this. When we arrive at the tomb to do the work and serve the Lord, what we find when we get there, no matter how early we think we're going to show up, is that God was already there before we got there and he finished the work that we came to do long before we arrived on the scene. That is the story of God and it is the story of grace and we see it in the very opening lines of this chapter. She came to prepare the body of Jesus for a proper burial, but what she didn't know was that overnight the Spirit of God raised up the body of Jesus and triumphed over the burial and brought him back to glorious resurrection life. So she was going to prepare his body, but the Spirit of God had already restored his body. And with great intention, she got there early to work for Jesus. And when she got there, turns out God had already done the work on her behalf. When we come to the tomb, we realize God has already done all the work for us. That is a beautiful, beautiful freedom. And we're only in the first verse of the 20th chapter. She didn't get it yet. The followers didn't get it. Nobody got it right then and there. But we're looking back in time and we're looking back at the garden tomb and we understand the principle today. And it is this, when we show up in any circumstance on any day of the week, at any time of the day, with any intention in our heart to in any way serve God or honor Jesus, we can show up with the confidence that God has beat us to the spot. He arrived before we got there, and he has already done, through the resurrection of Christ, everything possible to do the greatest amount in the circumstance and the situation that we find ourselves in. When we show up to serve God, hello, God says, thank you for coming, and I'm going to use you but you need to know I already did all the work before you got here. That is the kingdom of grace. And it's the kingdom that we're in right now. That's really good news. You can come along at any point and just amen or say right on or anything. Because that's like the best news that there is. That God isn't asking you to raise Jesus from the dead. He's not asking you to break any curse. He's not asking you to break any chain. He's not asking you to defeat the enemy. He's not asking you to, to push aside the darkness. He's not asking you to build up anything, to accomplish anything. He's just asking you to show up and realize when you get there, he was already there before you got there. And has already done the work that you're now going to walk 
into as you submit your life to serve him. That's all I got. Let me give you a dumb illustration and a more pertinent illustration of what I'm talking about. Okay, this is a dumb illustration. When I get into it, you'll be going, that's dumb. It is dumb. So we're at, at lunch the other day, Shelly, myself, Chris Tomlin, and a friend of ours from, uh, from Australia, one of the greatest worship leaders of all time, Darlene Check. And we're sitting around a table having lunch together, and we're having uh, cheeseburgers, three of us are, Tomlin and myself and Shelly. And at some point, Chris uh, hits his knife, and his knife flips off the table, and with it flips off the little Dijon mustard thing they give you. You know, they don't want to give you too much, so they give you that little bitty, you know, little tiny size one. And all that goes flying off the table. Well, I'm not paying attention because I'm in the middle of making some grand point, I'm sure. And so I'm talking, and I hear this commotion over here. But it's Chris and some kind of commotion. And I hear things clank and bang, and it goes on the floor. Next thing I know, he's rubbing my leg and my, my, my foot. And so I look down, and lo and behold, the Dijon mustard has gone all over these white tennis shoes that I'm wearing and all up my leg uh, on my jeans. And he's all perplexed and turns red, and he's trying to get the mustard off. And, and they're brand-new white tennis shoes. They're um, kind of the, you know, just slip on Jack Purcells that look like the cons, but they're cooler. And so I'm kind of like the new shoes I got on, you know, and, and so I'm looking down, but I say the Christian thing, you know, because Darlene checks at the table. Um, <laughs> and so I say, man, don't worry about it. It's just my shoes. It's nothing. And he's down there wiping and rubbing. And I'm like, don't worry about it. And I'm looking down like, man, that's like all over my shoes and all up <laughs> my pants. But oh, it's no worries. No worries. So we keep talking. And in my mind, I'm going, there's mustard all over my shoes. But I'm saying to him out loud, very politely, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's like, man, I'm sorry about your shit. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Size nine if he wants to get me some more. But, um, <laughs> and so at some point, I kind of break down. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to try to get it off. So I dip my napkin in the water in the glass. And I reach down. And all I'm doing now is smearing larger amounts of Dijon mustard all over the shoes. And so we get into the conversation. I try to block it out. I'm just being honest, but as soon as we get done, we go up to our room, and I'm thinking, I'm going to try to get this out, because i got to wear these shoes for a little bit longer here, so I'm going to try to get the, the yellow mustard stains out. So we had this two-room uh, two suite that they've given us in this hotel, and so there's like a living room area with a little kitchenette thing and a bedroom, and, and I know there's a mini bar, and I'm sure it's got club soda in it, and that gets everything out, right? So I go to the mini bar. You with me? I told you it was a dumb story. I open the mini bar. There's the little bottle of club soda. So I'm committed at this point. I don't care if it costs $9. I'm going to try to get the mustard out of the shoes. The shoes barely cost $9. And so I get the club soda out, and I'm frantic at this point. Now I'm thinking I probably should have gotten the club soda from the restaurant right when the stuff went on there and tried to get it out before it's dried a little bit. So i got to hurry. So I start looking for the bottle opener for the little bottle of club soda that's this big. And I'm sorry, you know, I know there's a bottle opener. There's got to be a bottle opener. It's probably on the corkscrew. So I start digging through where the corkscrew is, and there are the wine glasses and the other glasses and the whatever down by the mini bar. No no bottle opener. So I'd go through all the top stuff and I start looking around the other parts of the room and I, we got stuff everywhere. So it's mostly my stuff. And so I'm digging around and looking, is there a bottle opener? Now I'm kind of getting perplexed. I need to get the bottle open and I need to get to work on the mustard stain on the shoes. But I, I remembered in time, you can get a bottle cap off one of those bottles just by like putting it on something like this and popping it off, you know, but I didn't want to like mess the furniture up. So now I'm looking around the room for a good hard metal surface that I can get the lid off of the bottle on. You with me? Anybody? with me? Okay, so I'm a little bit in a hurry and panic. And so I finally find this little metal edge on a table, and I think that's going to be it. I put the bottle on there, 
and I get ready to do the thing. Anybody ever done that before where you pop the top off like that? Some of you are like, no, Lou, we just grab them with our hands and peel them off, you know? And so I get the thing on there, and I get right here, and I look down. It's a screw-top cap. So I looked around the room to make sure Shelly wasn't in there looking at me at this point like a complete idiot, and I'm like, <laughs> that's a dumb story with a really great point. Let me tell you the more right now story. So we're, I'm carrying... John 20. And I won't go all into it, but I, I, I will just say this, that if you've never preached a message from the Word of God for the people of God, I'm just going to give you a little insight. That is a big, big deal. And so you start carrying it. You start carrying it weeks before. I've been carrying this message for tonight for, for a long time in prayer, seeking God, listening to God, wanting to be uh, on target with God. It's God's story. It's resurrection for crying out loud. It's Easter. It's John 20. It's his church. You are his people. We are his people. This is his moment. I want to honor him well. I know life and death is in the balance today. I know there's a big bunch of people here, but I know some people here don't know personally the power of the risen Lord. Some people don't know what it means to be alive in the power of Jesus Christ. And so I know that life and death hangs in the balance today. I know awakening for for a lot of people from parts of this text hangs in the balance today. And so I've been carrying that. So, you know, it's like not like a Saturday, Sunday thing when you bring a message like this. It's like a, a month-long thing sometimes or several months-long thing. And I remember a specific example a couple of weeks ago. We were at a meal with some people and everybody was sitting around laughing. And while they were all laughing and talking, my mind was thinking about John 20 and how to open this up for us in a way that God would move in power. And I've been like that for over a month. And yesterday, just reading again through the text, just reading again and thinking through all the things God's been putting in my heart, coming to this very first verse, this is what God said. I want to make sure before you say this, you fully are receiving this, and here's the promise I'm giving you for tomorrow. All you have to do is show up at Passion City Church tomorrow and open up your heart with all the things that I have put in your heart in these days. You don't have to change anybody, convince anybody, impress anybody, move anybody, um, raise anybody, heal anybody, save anybody, free anybody. You don't have to do any of the work. I want you to know when you get there tomorrow, I want you to think in your mind when you walk into that gathering, I want you to be thinking the stone is already rolled away. Christ has risen from the dead. Every curse is broken. All the power of darkness is broken. Death and hell are defeated and broken. You don't have to do any of that. Don't run around frantically looking for a bottle opener to try to open up this message. Just realize it's a screw top cap and you do have to do something, but it's not going to be a frantic search to figure out how to deliver the best message that's ever been delivered so people can come in to the kingdom of God. Just stand up there and open the lid and then pour out what I've given you and trust me that I've already done all the work before you got there. What I'm saying is God's already working in your life. He didn't start working in your life when you pulled in the parking lot here. He's already working in your life. And Christ isn't going to die for you today. He already did that. 
And he's not going to be raised from the dead for you today. He's already done that. He has already done it all. And so what does that mean for you? You say, well, I, I don't speak in front of big crowds. Well, whatever your circumstance, how powerful and freeing when you walk through the door into that conversation you need to have, into that situation that you're trying to figure out and resolve, into that circumstance it's a little bit cloudy and confusing, into that moment where you're not sure you're going to be able to come through with what you need, walk into the door and through the door with the picture in your mind as you move into the moment, the stone is already rolled away. I don't have to do this. I just have to show up and open my heart and let God move through me. He does the work. The stone is already rolled away. You've got a friend and they don't get it. You're in a situation where you're trying to communicate and people aren't getting it. Don't stress and strive and try to get the bottle opener and make it happen. Just keep remembering, I'm here and I'm available, but God is the one that's going to do the work. But because before I ever got here, he'd already finished the work. Grace is the banner over the kingdom of God. And so if you're one of those people that thinks, I'm going to get there first. I'm going to get there early. I'm going to, I'm going to outrun the other disciple. You know, don't you love how John gave himself props right there? The disciple Jesus loved, the other disciple, he got there first. He outran Peter to the tomb. You know, Peter got going first because Peter had just denied Jesus three times, like, you know, hours ago. So he's trying to make up fast. Somebody stole the body. Well, I'm out of here because I got stuff to make up with God. I got to get there and prove to God that I am trustworthy, that I do love him, that I'm really sorry about denying him three times to those girls around the campfire just a, a, a night or so ago. And so he runs off with full steam, but he's a sprinter apparently, and John is a marathon man. And so as they get closer to the garden, the disciple Jesus loves, the other disciple runs past Peter and gets to the tomb. And what neither one of them understood on that day is it doesn't matter who gets there first because whoever gets there first gets there second because God got there first and God already did all the work. Therefore, God gets all the glory. So I just want to say this to anybody here in any, any sphere of life, but especially in this ministry world, it doesn't matter whose church got there first because whoever's church got there first got there second because God got there first and moved the stone. It doesn't matter who shared the message first, who led the person to Christ, who prayed the prayer, who did the thing, who should get the credit, who should be recognized. The only person should be recognized at the end of the day is the one who was raised from the dead before any of us even got into the mix and into the story. It's all about him, not about us try, trying, striving, earning, achieving, not, not banking on the fact, Lord, you know we came first. You know we came to serve you. You know we came early in the morning to do our works for you. And he's saying, I appreciate that. I love your commitment. I love your dedication. I love that you love me enough to want to come and take care of my body. Just make sure you know, I got here before you ever thought about coming here, and I took care of you while you were thinking about coming to take care of me. Isn't that awesome? Mary was going to go help Jesus, and Jesus was coming up out of the depths of the earth to help her. When she arrived, he'd already done everything she needed done for her whole life lifetime. 
and for yours and mine. The second grace that's in this chapter that's pretty powerful to me is that Jesus appears to his followers. If you look in verse 19, later that day, you say, well, how do we get later in the day? Well, a couple things happen. If you want to just note what happened, the disciples come, uh, they get there, Peter runs in, they look around, they're, they're not sure what's going on, so they all go back, and now Mary comes again, and Mary's now looking around on her own, and she sees the gardener there, and she's, she's mad, actually, and she says, look, you, over there, tell me, what'd you see? Where'd they take him? Where's his body? I just want to help give him a proper burial. And the gardeners are saying to her, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And she's still not putting it all together, not adding it all up, until Jesus, who is the one standing there, speaks her name, and he says, Mary, like Mary. It's not like this James Earl Jones, you know, Mary. He's like, Mary, me. She hears his voice. She spins around. She knows because she hears his voice, that's Jesus. She calls out to him, Rabbani, teacher. She, she speaks to him. She knows who he is. And she immediately runs and throws her arms around him. She's so excited to see Jesus. He has to kind of back up and say, hey, don't cling to me right now because I haven't ascended to my father and your father, my God and your God. So in the meantime, I need you to go and tell the other disciples that I'm alive. She rejoices. She's so excited. She can't believe it. She is freaking out. She goes back to the disciples. She tells them what she knows. And that night, they're all gathered together, and they're huddled around together in a lockdown room. Look what it says in verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I love that in the grace of God, in this account, where it's dark, it's morning, it's confused, everybody's mind is still scattered, that God is pursuing people, that God is doing all the pursuing. Mary comes back to the tomb a second time, and God's not off in some distant place. Jesus isn't off in down the road somewhere. He knows she's at the tomb. He knows she's distraught. He knows she came to prepare his body. So he goes, and he's there, and he meets her there. She doesn't know who he is, but he knows who she is. And that's the beautiful thing about grace tonight. You don't have to know who God is right this second. You just need to be encouraged that he knows who you are right this second. You don't have to believe in him fully and completely tonight. I just want you to know that he believes in you fully and completely tonight, and he knows who you are, and he wouldn't walk into this place and say, hey, y'all. It's more likely that he would walk in here and walk right up to you and call you by your name, and he would say, Mary. And you'd be like, are you kidding me? You, you know me? Like, yeah. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the risen Lord came to Mary he didn't say, woman, hey, crying lady, hey, you. He said, Mary, it's me. And when you and I began on this journey with Jesus, it doesn't begin in a mass, hey, y'all. It begins in a very personal Mary. It's Jesus speaking your name. You may not even know his name, but he knows your name. It's not us finding him in the garden in the dark. It's him finding us in the garden in the dark and calling our name. And I believe he's doing that in this house. I believe he's doing it right now. I believe he's speaking individual names of people right now. 
Wouldn't it be crazy and a little bit freaky if our touch team learned everyone's name that comes to Passion City Church and somehow knew the names of all the visitors that were coming? Wouldn't it be crazy if this group from Alabama came through the door and our touch team knew every single one of them? Hey, Jared, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, Lauren, how are you? Nice. Welcome to Passion City Church. And they're like, how do they know who we are? Wouldn't that be awesome if you came through the door and they just said hello to every single person by name? You'd be like, whoa, this is the greatest church on earth. Or some of you just be freaked out. You know, were they miking the uh, shuttle buses or, you know, what, what, what's going on here? Are they running the license plates when we pull into the, to the parking deck? How do they know us? But more importantly than that and more powerfully than that is the fact that even now, right now, I know by faith that God is calling people by their names right now. And it's not you, a bunch of you looking at me, but it's all of us hearing his voice calling our names. So they all get to this room, and the Scripture says they're all in there on the first night of that first day, and they've got the doors locked for fear of the Jews. You understand that Jerusalem is is on high alert. The body of Jesus is missing. The Romans don't know what happened. If somebody did steal the body, they've got to find it fast, and they've got to expose what happened, or else possibly the rumor's going to start, maybe, maybe Jesus worked another miracle, and maybe Jesus is alive. So they're looking for the body of Jesus. The Jews are on high alert because they were trying to shut this guy down, remember? They're the one who cooked up this whole scheme, and now they, they can't figure out what's going on, so they've got to find the body of Jesus. And so the whole city is just on edge, and the followers of Jesus don't know what to do except just to get huddled around together that night in a house with all the doors locked and all the windows shut up together, and Mary's telling them a story. No, he called my name. And they're like, are you sure it was him when he called your name? I'm positive it was him. He called my name. Well, how do you know? I mean, it was early. We went there. He didn't call our names. Did he call your name when you went there, Peter? No, I didn't hear him call my name. How about you, the other disciple whom Jesus loves? Did he call your name? I mean, surely he would have called your name because you're the disciple Jesus loves. And we're all sick of that, by the way, the fact that you think you're the disciple Jesus loves. But did he call your name? No, I didn't hear him call my name. So now they're looking back at Mary. Are you sure you weren't hallucinating? Are you sure you weren't having a vision? Are you sure it was really him talking to you? How do you know it was him? And all this is going on in that room with the doors locked and fear over everybody's head. And Jesus says, I should go there. He knows what's going on. He probably rolls up and stands outside for a while and is just listening to him talk. I don't know. I bet it, I don't know if it was him or not. I don't, know how, I don't know how we know it was him. I don't know how we can trust her. I mean, it's her word. I mean, nobody can back. And he's probably outside going, oh my goodness. I told him. I tried to tell him, so I guess I'll show him. So he doesn't knock, because he doesn't have to. He just comes through the wall, and there he is. <laughs> You're like, well, I don't believe you could go through the wall. Look, when you've come out of the tomb, you can go through a wall. <laughs> when you've come back out of the depths of the earth, you can go through a locked door. And he just shows up in their midst, and his first line when he shows up is, it's right here in Scripture, he says um, in verse 19 at the end, peace be with you. Now that sounds like a, a nice little biblical way of saying, don't freak out, it's me. I know there's a cloud over the house. I know fear is in your hearts. I know you're not sure whether you can believe Mary or not. I know you're not sure whether at any moment these Roman soldiers are going to come bursting through the door or the Jewish leaders are going to come and arrest all the rest of you. But hey, it's me. 
And they're like, A, you just came through the wall. That's a little freaky. And B, we're not sure who you are because apparently Jesus' appearance was different than it was the last time they saw him taking him down off the cross. He didn't look beaten and battered and shredded. He looked whole and alive and vibrant and full of life. And his eyes were shining brightly and his voice was full of confidence and, and authority, and he, he comes right in their midst, and they're like, oh, wh- whoa, who, what, what's going on? He says, peace be to you. And then he did something really interesting. It says in the next verse, the next phrase, after this, verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. I think that's a, a beautiful picture for us not to miss this tonight. That Jesus connected peace to you in your lockdown house of fear with the wounds in his wrists and in his side. Peace doesn't come from Jesus showing up and giving an inspirational talk. Peace doesn't come because Jesus shows up and says, hey, everybody, don't be afraid anymore. The the situation was treacherous outside the house, and, and to be honest with you, it stayed that way, and it didn't change in the coming weeks or the coming months or the coming years. There was nothing that changed outside of that house. But in the midst of that house, Jesus said, I come announcing peace to you, and the peace is based on the fact that I am who you think I am. I am Jesus, and to prove that to you, you, I want to show you my wounds because these are the wounds that made it possible for you to have peace with me and peace with God. Peace to you. It's me. Look at the wounds and look at my side. There's Jesus standing in the middle of all these people and he pulls his robe up. A very undignified thing for a man to do in this moment. And he says, look at my side. Look at the wound." It's me. That's grace. That's the second picture of grace in the very first day of the resurrection of Jesus. Is that he doesn't expect them to come and find him. He makes the decision and takes the initiative to go to where they are and to enter into their fear and enter into their barricaded world with an announcement that because he is the Christ, alive from the dead, they have peace. Peace with each other, peace with themselves, peace in the world, and peace with God. And that's the grace of God tonight. You know, it doesn't matter how thick your walls are. It doesn't matter how many locks you have on your life saying, I'm not letting anybody in. I'm not letting anybody penetrate into my world. And I don't know why that is. It could be because of failure in your life. It could be because of things that have been done to you or things you have done. But somehow you've put yourself in this position of saying, I'm just going to lock myself in to my fear, my insecurity, or my sense of failure. And I'm just going to stay in here and hang out in here. And Jesus says, you know what? I know where you are, and I know your name, and I'm risen from the dead. And I need to come and tell you about it. I need to come and show you my wounds. I need to come and announce to you that there is peace from God for your life. So I'm not waiting for you to come to the empty tomb. I'm bringing the power of the empty tomb to you, and I'm coming into your world. This is grace, and this is the gospel, not us being good enough for God and getting our house in order, but Christ coming into our fear, into our 
mess into our locked down world and stepping right in the middle of it and saying, hi, peace to you. And you're like, who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm the one who gave his life for you. I'm the one who has the wounds for all your wrong and all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt. I bear on my body your peace. Those words Jesus spoke in John 19, it is finished. What amazing words. What was finished? Well, the work of God transferring all of our guilt onto Jesus and Jesus dying in our place so that God could transfer all of Jesus' righteousness onto our lives, that's what was finished at the cross. All the shame of our lives transferred onto the innocent Son of God so that all the righteousness of Jesus could be transferred onto our lives. That's what was finished and accomplished and done at the cross. So shame is finished. Guilt is finished. Condemnation's finished. The power of death is finished. The grave is finished. Hell is finished. It's all done at the cross. And we are living now in the freedom of a risen Jesus who has transacted for us something far beyond anything we could ever do. So if the enemy comes to you, you just need three words. If you stumble and fall as a believer, or you willfully even disobey God as a believer, which we do, it doesn't mean that we're just a bunch of rotten, awful sinners. It means that as sons and daughters of God, as saints of God, we chose to to stumble or, or to fall or to disobey God. But right when we do, the Spirit says, hey, get back up. Walk in freedom. Walk in truth. Walk in the ways of God. Confess your sin and follow on in what God has for you. The enemy comes and says, says, man, you're a mess, you're miserable, you're a failure, you're defeated, you're, you're condemned, you're guilty, you should be ashamed, and if you don't know the three words, you're going to get buried right there. But thank God, Christ was buried right there and was raised from the dead so that we don't have to be buried again. And how do we respond when the enemy comes? We say, hey, I don't know if you've heard or not, but I'd like to make a big proclamation and a grand announcement. It is finished. Guilt is finished. Shame is finished, condemnation is finished, the penalty of sin is finished, and I am a new person in Christ. There was a day when Christ came and stepped right into my house of fear, right into my lockdown world, and he announced to me, peace be with you. And he showed me his wounds, and he showed me his side, and I believed that Christ had paid it all for me. Grace is not you running to the tomb and making some grand statement with God. Grace is God coming from the tomb and finding you wherever you are and stepping right into the mess and announcing to you there is peace with God because of what he has done. Isn't that powerful? So you don't even have to unlock the doors, really. You just have to recognize that Christ, he comes right through the, through the walls. <laughs> he loves you that much to just come right through the walls and stand right in your midst. But there's a third grace here, and oh my. If, you, if, you, if somebody doesn't shout at the end of the third grace, I'm going to shout for all of us, and you don't want to watch me do that. So 
The third grace is beautiful and powerful. Jesus said in verse 21, peace be with you, exclamation point. And then very quickly, he turns the tables. I mean, he just got there. I want you to just track with me, okay? He comes through the wall. People freak out. He said, peace be with you. He shows them his hands. He showed them his side. They were overjoyed, and they believed that it was him. And then he said again, peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's me. They freaked out. They were excited. He said, peace be with you. And the very next thing he said was, as the Father, verse 21, has sent me, I am sending you. I mean, instantly. And so there's, there's no time. I want you to get this tonight. That there's no time to have a little Jesus rally. Oh, this is going to be awesome. I mean, he's, he's back. All the miracles, back. All the power, he's back. Our Lord, he's back. Our rabbi, our teacher, he's back. Our friend, he's back. The one who loves me, John would say, he's back. And we're here, and he's here, and the doors are locked, and we're all in here, safe and sound, with him. How good is this? (laughs) And he said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I didn't come out of the tomb, and I wasn't raised from the dead so we could have a little Jesus huddle here at the house with the doors locked. I came out of the tomb and was raised from the dead so that I could send you into the world the same way the Father sent me into the world as I came from heaven and stepped onto earth to bring the grace and the truth and the love of God to you. I'm sending you to every spot of earth to bring the love and the grace of God to all people breathing on this planet as he sent me. I'm sending you. And they're in there like, well, I don't know how we're going anywhere. The doors are all locked. And we're all afraid for our lives. And he said, I know. And then the text says, what an amazing statement. It says, and after this, um, and again, verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them. Now you're like, well, what did that look like? I, don't you wish you had been there for that? I, when he just exhaled his peace and power over their lives. And then he spoke these words. Read them with me. Receive the Holy Spirit. You talk about grace. He gave them a mission and he told them instantly how they were going to do it. Look down at the next section and you'll understand this more. It says in verse 24, Now Thomas called Didymus, One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So he missed out on the first night event when Jesus came through the wall and and everybody saw his hands and saw his side. Can you imagine getting the text messages he was getting from inside the house when he's over there? And they're like, you're not going to believe it. Where are you, man? Jesus just came through the wall. Where are you? Jesus is showing us his wrist and showing us his side. This is absolutely incredible. People are jumping up and down and freaking out. He's breathing on us. He's telling us promises. He's speaking to us. This is incredible. He's telling us that we're forgiven, that God has forgiven us. He's speaking the truth of what he's done on the cross to us. Where are you? And he's like, man, why am I not there? (laughs) He wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, don't you know he hated it? Every one of them was telling the story. And then the next one would tell him, and the next one would tell him. And he's like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Everybody saw the Lord. Everybody was there. But look what he says. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks, 
and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, that's why we call him Doubting Thomas. History calls him Doubting Thomas, which I don't think is very fair at all tonight. We're just going to call him Didymus, which was his name, Thomas. Because if we called him Doubting Thomas, you'd have to call me Doubting Louis. And I'd have to call you Doubting whatever your name is. Because I think, well, we should try it. Just being honest, how many of you have ever doubted for one instant God? Anyone? Just for one instant in your life. So what's your name? Doubting Garrison. See, I don't think that's really the spirit of this. I think instead the spirit of this is pretty awesome. I think it's Thomas saying, you know what? This is big. This is not just, hey, the burgers at Yeah Burger are good. Okay, I'll take your word for it. This is not just, hey, if you go and, and go Limburg and take a left, it's faster than you go up a Piedmont. Okay, I'll take your word for it. This is big. This is life and death. This is the whole gospel hanging the balance. This is everything Jesus promised is on the line here. This is future. This is hope. This is eternity. Everything is at stake here. And Thomas is saying, you know what, Mary? I hear you. I believe you. I kind of think you probably did see him. I can tell something happened to you. Hey, guys, I hear all of you. It sounds like he maybe did come through the wall, and, and I get something happened, but I can't put my future in what you experienced of Jesus. I need to experience it for myself. And to that, I don't say doubting Thomas. I say right on Thomas because that's how each one of us comes to a life-changing relationship with God. It's not because your neighbor had an experience or your mom had an experience, or your son had an experience, or your friend at school had an experience, and you're like, well, you know what? So-and-so, we, we baptized people in our last two gatherings, and their stories were absolutely unbelievable. The last girl we baptized was in rehab in April and being baptized right here in July because God had intersected her life with the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And her story wasn't, well, so-and-so saw the Lord. Her story was, I saw the Lord. And Thomas said, I get it that all you guys saw him, but I need to see him. I, I need to touch him. And when Jesus appeared the second time, he understood that. It says, if you read down a little bit more, I love this. It says, um, a week later, verse 26, the disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them, and look at this phrase, though the doors were locked. <laughs> a week later, they still got the doors locked. Now, that's a failure right there. That's a colossal, frustrating failure. You've been raised from the dead. You appeared to Peter. Then to all the followers, you came through the wall. You showed them your hands and showed them your side you breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit, and you announced to them, peace be with you, and then you gave them a mission, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, and a week later, they're still in the house with the doors locked. Why? Because they hadn't received this third grace that's in this chapter yet. They hadn't received the power necessary to do the thing that God was calling them to do. Do you understand the fact that Jesus died wasn't enough for you? I know that sounds crazy. 
But the fact that Jesus died on a cross was not enough for us. Jesus had to be raised from the dead to be able to raise us up from the dead so that we could live in the freedom that he won for us on the cross. But the fact that Christ died on the cross and the fact that he was raised from the dead were not enough for us. It was only enough for us when the Christ who died on the cross to cancel our debt was raised from the dead so that he could raise us up from the dead and then he sent to us the Holy Spirit of God so that that spirit could empower us to do the very thing that he had asked us to do. See, until the Spirit came, and the Spirit didn't come for a couple of weeks after this encounter, and the Spirit hadn't fallen yet. They hadn't received this life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit of God on their lives yet. So they're still locked up in the house, even though Jesus has appeared to them and showed himself to them. They're still not doing anything, changing anything, touching anything, moving out with him. They're still locked down. They'd seen him hurt. But they were yet to change and have courage and power to go out into the world. And I just wonder tonight how many of us are missing that grace. That you would say tonight, I I believe in the cross. I believe in chapter 19 completely. I was here last week. I loved it. It was amazing. I believe in chapter 20 completely. I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. But here you are all these months later or all these years later and you're still locked in the house in fear. Doors are locked, no influence in your life, God is not breathing through you, people's lives aren't being impacted, your life isn't being changed, you're not maturing into the person of Christ, and nothing's happening basically. It's like, it was like with these guys, night number one, locked in the house, night number two, locked in the house, number three, locked in the house, number four, locked in the house, number five, six, seven, a week later, all of us still locked in the house because they missed That Jesus didn't say, I'm sending you, now you go do it. Jesus said, I'm sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. And we see how life flipped upside down for these followers, these these, uh, shaking in their boots followers. A few weeks later, the Spirit of God comes. And when the Spirit of God comes on their lives, the doors open and the locks are unlocked and the streets are filled with courageous men and women, not filled with self-confidence, but filled with God-confidence to know that now this Spirit of God, power of God, is in and on our lives to do what Jesus said that first night when he said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And there were Peter and John arrested, pulled before the religious authorities, ordered not to preach in Jesus' name, tried to be shut down by the intimidation and the threats of those in authority and in power. And to that they said, hey, we don't know, you know, exactly what you're, what you're going to do to us, but we do know this. We are not going to stop preaching about Jesus because we can't stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Isn't that awesome? They they said, we can't not talk about what we've seen and heard. Can I just put a little, little spotlight on night number one? They saw it and heard it on night one. And they saw it and heard it on night two and night three and night four and night five and night six. And on the week later, Jesus came again and they saw it again and they heard it again. But the doors were still locked. 
It's not enough to say, well, I, I believe in Jesus and I've seen him and I've heard his message and I heard him call my name and I believe I'm a Christian. It's not enough. Our lives don't move forward in power until we open our hearts and say, Holy Spirit of God, you were given by God to empower me to serve God and to live for God. I want you to take control of me in this moment. We've said it a lot at Passion City Church, but I don't think it could be said too many times. The Holy Spirit doesn't belong to one little stream of the church. And all the other streams, well, we're not one of those, you know, streams. We're more like, you know, we're, we're all scripture stream. Oh, we're, we're, we're all worship stream. Oh, we're all mission stream. Oh, we're, we're the discipleship stream, and we don't really understand the Holy Spirit. Look, the Holy Spirit was not promised by Jesus and given by God so that a few people could understand his fullness and power. The Holy Spirit was given for every single solitary follower of Jesus Christ, man, woman, teenager, child, so that they could have the power they need to live the life that God asked them to live. It's called grace. Grace is showing up in any circumstance or situation and going, God's already beat me here and already done the work. Grace is knowing that no matter how bad your circumstance, Jesus is not afraid to step into your world and announce his work to you. And grace is recognizing that what God has called us to do, we cannot do. And so in every breath, we're saying, Holy Spirit, if you don't empower me and move through me, I'm not going to be able to do what God is trusting me to do in this moment. So I surrender to you. Oh, I'm going to show up. <laughs> I'm going to show up. But you're going to have to breathe through me. So the last grace is beautiful. Thomas, by the way, puts his hands in the holes. <laughs> I love that. I love that Jesus had scars, and he still does. I don't know if you know that or not. The risen Lord Jesus right now at the right hand of God still has the nail prints in his wrist and his feet and still has the scar in his side, and he will forevermore. When he's honored and exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses and all nations, every tribe, every language, all races are gathered around his throne and he's being exalted as the only one worthy to open the book and to break its seals and to buy back people for God. And when he is in the center of eternal exaltation, he is going to be standing there with your nail scars in his wrists and in his feet and a wound in his side. He didn't erase the scars. He bears them proudly is the work he did for you and for me. And if you got any doubt tonight, I just want to encourage you, you're not the only one. If you've ever doubted the resurrection, you're not the only one. It's mysterious and amazing and miraculous. And if in your mind, in your natural mind, you couldn't process it and you doubt it. If you're here tonight and you say, I believe a lot of this stuff, but the resurrection of Jesus, it trips me up. That's okay. You're not the first person. We, we, he made sure that you knew that there were other people that came before you that weren't 100% sure about Jesus being alive until they could touch him with their own hands. And so he's just saying to you the same thing he said to Thomas tonight. You've got to reach out your hand. I'm here. But you've got to reach out your hand for me. You have to step towards me. 
And I'm confident, this is Jesus speaking, that when you reach out your hand, what you touch will be so sure and so pure that you will know that Jesus is alive and real in this place. And you can do what he said to Thomas. You can stop doubting and believe in him. And then he includes you, includes me. I'm in the 20th chapter of John. I love that. (laughs) Thomas believed, and he said, that's awesome, man. You got to stick your fingers in the hole. He said, this is really crazy, though. Thomas, a lot of people are coming after you. They won't get to do that, and they're still going to believe because their eyes are going to be opened by the power of the Spirit. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's me. I love it. I've never put my hands in the holes yet. I will, but I haven't yet. But I know because he's spoken my name, and he's opened my eyes to be able to see who he is. And so look at the closing verse. It says, but these are written. These verses in this book, in this letter, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John 20 is not all about Mary Magdalene. It's not all about Peter and John. It's not all about the 12. It's not all all about Thomas, who was called Didymus. It's not a story about people in the past. It's a story about you. This story has been recorded in in the living words of God so that you, that you may believe. How crazy is that? This resurrection wasn't something that happened in the past. This resurrection is happening right now. This Jesus is alive right now. Why? So that you may believe. That through the account of what happened to Jesus, that you might reach out. That you might stretch out your hand and say, Jesus, if you're really there, I want to touch you. I want to know you. I want to believe in you. I want to see the scars. I want to know that you're real. And if you reach out to him, he says, and you believe, then you can be one of those who believe that Jesus is who? The Christ, which means he's the sent one of God to pay the price of the sins of the world. And that he is the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's grace. That's how you become a follower of Jesus. It is by believing in Jesus' name. Not believing in a church, believing in a system, believing in a dogma, believing in a theology, believing in a religion, believing in your self-effort, believing in your works, believing in blah, blah, blah. Life comes by grace from God when you believe in the name of Jesus.